Chapter 19 of Dope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Friend. Dope by Sax Romer. Chapter 19. The Traffic. Sir Lucian came out into the alley wearing a greasy cloth cap pulled down over his eyes and an old overall. The collar turned up about a red woolen muffler which enveloped the lower part of his face. The odor of the outfit was disgusting, but this man's double life had brought him so frequently in contact with all forms of uncleanliness, including that of the Far East, compared with which the dirt of the West is hygienic, that he suffered it without complaint. A Chinese boy of indeterminable age, wearing a slop-shop suit and a cap, was waiting outside the door, and when Sin Sinwa appeared, carefully locking up, he muttered something rapidly in his own sibilant language. Sinsinwa made no reply. To his indoor attire he had added a pea jacket and a bowler hat, and the oddly assorted trio set off westward, following the bank of the Thames in the direction of Limehouse Basin. The narrow, ill-lighted streets were quite deserted, but from the river and the riverside arose that ceaseless jangle of industry which belongs to the great port of London. On the Surrey shore whistles shrieked, and endless moving chains sent up their monstrous clangor into the night. Human voices sometimes rose above the din of machinery. In the silence the three pursued their way, crossing inlets and circling around basins dimly divined, turning to the right into a lane flanked by high, eyeless walls, and again to the left, finally to emerge nearly opposite a dilapidated gateway giving access to a small wharf. On the rickety gates, bills were posted announcing, quote, This wharf to let, close quote. The annexed buildings appeared to be a mere shell, to the right again they turned, and once more to the left, halting before a two-story brick house which had apparently been converted into a barber shop. In one of the grimy windows were some loose packets of cigarettes, a soap maker's advertisement, and a card. Sam Tuck, Barber. Opening the door with a key which he carried, the boy admitted Sir Lucian and Sinsinwa to the dimly lighted interior of a room the pretensions of which to be regarded as a shaving salon were supported by the presence of two chairs, a filthy towel, and a broken mug. Sinsinwa shuffled across to another door and, followed by Sir Lucian, descended a stone stair to a little cellar apparently intended for storing coal. A tin lamp stood upon the bottom step. Removing the lamp from the step, Sinsinwa set it on the cellar floor, which was black with coal dust, then closed and bolted the door. A heap of nondescript litter lay piled in a corner of the cellar. This, Sinsinwa disturbed sufficiently to reveal a movable slab in the roughly paved floor. It was so ingeniously concealed by coal dust that one who had sought it unaided must have experienced great difficulty in detecting it. Furthermore, it could only be raised in the following manner. A piece of strong iron wire, which lay among the other litter, was inserted in a narrow slot, apparently a crack in the stone, about an inch of the end of the wire being bent outward to form a right angle, when the seemingly useless piece of scrap iron had been thrust through the slab and turned, it formed a handle by means of which the trap could be raised. Again, Sinsinwa took up the lamp, placing it at the brink of the opening revealed. A pair of wooden steps rested below, and Sir Lucian, who evidently was no stranger to the establishment, descended awkwardly, since there was barely room for a big man to pass. He found himself in the mouth of a low passage, unpaved and shored up with rough timbers in the manner of a mine-working. Sinsinwa followed with the lamp, drawing the slab down into its place behind him. 
Stooping forward and bending his knees, Sir Lucian made his way along the passage, the Chinaman following. It was of considerable length and terminated before a strong door bearing a massive lock. Sin Sinwa reached over the stooping figure of Sir Lucian and unfastened the lock. The two emerged in a kind of dugout. Part of it had evidently been in existence before the ingenious Sinsinwa had exercised his skill upon it and was of solid brickwork and stone paved, palpably a storage vault. But it had been altered to suit the Chinaman's purpose, and one end, that in which the passage came out, was timbered. It contained a long counter and many shelves, also a large oil stove and a number of pots, pans, and queer-looking jars. On the counter stood a ship's lantern. The shelves were laden with packages and bottles. Behind the counter sat a venerable and perfectly bald Chinaman. The only trace of hair upon his countenance grew on the shrunken upper lip, mere wisps of white down. His skin was shriveled like that of a preserved fig, and he wore big horn-rimmed spectacles. He never once exhibited the slightest evidence of life, and his head and face and the horn-rimmed spectacles might quite easily have passed for those of an unwrapped mummy. This was Sam Took. Bending over a box upon which rested a canvas-bound package was a burly seaman engaged in unknotting twine with which the canvas was kept in place. As Sin Sinwa and Sir Lucian came in, he looked up, revealing a red-bearded, ugly face, very puffy under the eyes. Watcher, Sin Sin, he said gruffly. Who's your long pal? Friend, murmured Sin Sinwa complacently. You got ye puka stuff this time, George? I allus brings the puka stuff, roared the seaman, ceasing to fumble with the knots and glaring at Sin Sinwa. Watcher mean puka stuff? Got ye no use for bran, murmured Sin Sinwa. Got ye no use for tintac. Got ye no use for glue. Bran, roared the man, his glance and pose very menacing. Tin tacks and glue. Oh, the flamin' hell ever trying to sell you glue. Me only want ye lemon to you, said Sinsinwa. No pigeon. George glared for a moment, breathing heavily. Then he stooped and resumed his task, Sinsinwa and Sir Lucian watching him in silence. A sound of lapping water was faintly audible. Opening the canvas wrappings, the man began to take out and place upon the counter a number of reddish balls of leaf opium, varying in weight from about eight ounces to a pound or more. Hmm, murmured Sinsinwa. Smyrna stuff. From a pocket of his pea jacket, he drew a long botkin, and taking up one of the largest balls, he thrust the botkin in and then withdrew it. The steel stained a coffee color. Sinsinwa smelled and tasted the substance, adhering to the botkin weighed the ball reflectively in his yellow palm, and then set it aside. He took up a second, whereupon... Affamo, governor, cried the seaman furiously. You think I'm gonna wait here while you prods about in all the blasted lot? It's damn near I tired. I shan't get out. Half times, heavy. Shove it on the scales. Sinsinwa shook his head. Too muchy slick, too muchy bobbery, he murmured. Sinsinwa gachi sabi what him catchy by or no pigeon. What's the game? inquired George menacingly. Don't you know a cake of smyrna when you smells it? No sabi lead chop till plodum witty dipper, explained the Chinaman imperturbably. Lead, shouted the man. There ain't no bloody lead in em. Hmm, murmured Sinsinwa smilingly. So fashioner, all very proper. He calmly inserted the botkin in the second cake seemed to meet with some obstruction and laid the ball down upon the counter from beneath his jacket he took out a clasp knife attached to a steel chain 
Undeterred by a savage roar from the purveyor, he cut the sticky mass in half, and digging his long nails into one of the halves, brought out two lead shots. He directed a glance of his beady eye upon the man. Bloody liar, he murmured sweetly. Loba! Who's a robber? shouted George, his face flushing darkly and apparently not resenting the earlier innuendo. Who's a robber? One Sarsi Smyrna fella packy stuff so fashion, murmured Sinwawa. Thief fella lobby poor sailor man. George jerked his peaked cap from his head, revealing a tangle of unkept red hair. He scratched his skull with savage vigor. Blimey, he said pathetically. There's a go. I've been done brown, governor. Low luck, murmured Sinwawa, and resumed his examination of the cakes of opium. The man watched him now in silence, only broken by explanations of blimey and flymenel, when more shot was discovered. The tests concluded. Got ye some more? asked Sinsinwa. From the canvas wrapping, George took out and tossed on the counter a square packet wrapped in grease paper. Hmm, murmured Sinsinwa. Patna, where you catchy? Off of the Lasca, growled the man. The cake of Indian opium was submitted to the same careful scrutiny as that which the balls of Turkish had already undergone, but the patna opium proved to be unadulterated. Reaching over the counter, Sinsinwa produced a pair of scales, and, watched keenly by George, weighed the leaf and then the cake. Ten six smyrna, one leban patna, muttered Sinsinwa. You catchy eighty jimmies. Uh, roared George. Eighty quid! Eighty quid, flaming blind O'Reilly. Here, think I'm up the po. Eighty quid, you're balmy. Eighty ten, murmured Sinsinwa. Eighty Jimmy's opium, ten bob lead. Ah, give more than that for it, cried the seaman. And I damn there a police boat coming in too. Sir Lucian spoke a few words rapidly in Chinese. Sinsinwa performed his curious oriental shrug and taking a fat leather wallet from his hip pocket, counted out the sum of eighty-five pounds upon the counter. You catchy eighty-five, he murmured. Too muchy price. The man grabbed the money and pocketed it without a word of acknowledgment. He turned and strode along the room, his heavy iron-clamped boots ringing on the paved floor. Fetch a grim, Sin-Sin, he cried. I'll never get out if I don't jump to it. Sin-Sinwa took the lantern from the counter and followed. Opening a door at the further end of the place, he set the lantern at the head of three descending wooden steps discovered. With the opening of the door, the sound of lapping water had grown perceptibly louder. George clattered down the steps, which led to a second but much stouter door. Sinsinwa followed, nearly closing the first door, so that only a faint streak of light crept down to them. The second door was opened, and the clangor of the Surrey shore suddenly proclaimed itself cold, damp air touched them, and the faint light of the lantern above cast their shadows over unctuous gliding water, which lapped the step upon which they stood. Slimy shapes uprose dim and ghostly from its darkly moving surface. A boat was swinging from a ring beside the door, and into it George tumbled. He unhitched the lashings and strongly thrust the boat out upon the water. Coming to the first of the dim shapes, he grasped it and thereby propelled the skiff to another beyond. These indistinct shapes were the piles supporting the structure of a wharf. "'Good night, governor!' he cried hoarsely. "'So long!' muttered Sinsinwa. He waited until the boat was swallowed in the deeper shadows, then reclosed the water gate and ascended to the room where Sir Lucian awaited. Such was the receiving office of Sinsinwa. 
while the wharf remained untenanted it was not likely to be discovered by the authorities for even at low tide the river door was invisible from passing craft prospective leasees who had taken the trouble to inquire about the rental had learned that it was so high as to be prohibitive sinsinois paid fair prices and paid cash this was no more than a commercial necessity for those who have opium cocaine buranol and heroin to sell can always find a ready market in london and elsewhere but one sufficiently curious and clever enough to have solved the riddle of the vacant wharf would have discovered that the mysterious owner who showed himself so loath to accept reasonable offers for the property could well afford to be thus independent those who control the traffic control el dorado a city of gold which unlike the fabled manoa actually exists and yields its riches to the unscrupulous adventurer smiling his mirthless eternal smile Sinsinois placed the newly purchased stock upon a shelf immediately behind Sam Took, and Sam Took exhibited the first evidence of animation which had escaped him throughout the progress of the deal. He slowly nodded his hairless head. End of chapter 19